You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Love Cast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Savage Lovecast. I am Dan Savage, your host. I'm locked in a small, airless, soundproof booth with the tech-savvy at-risk youth whose personal hygiene could use an upgrade. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to put that out there give their parents a call. Uh, I, I don't know what their parents are thinking, letting them sit in this room with me, of all people, once a week for hours at a time. But uh, the dread's got to go and the deodorant's got to come. I don't remember the phone number, so I won't give it now. I'll give it at the end of the show because I forgot to write it down. We have lots of your calls. I'm a little scattered. I'm a little tense. Election day approaches, and we will get to your calls because I assume you're scattered and you're tense. Otherwise, you wouldn't be calling with your sex problems at a time like this when the future of the whole world is at stake, when our democracy teeters on the verge of complete and total bullshitification. You're calling with your sex problems. I'm amazed that anybody can think of sex at a time like this, but I'll do what I can to focus on your genitals and your problems and your issues right after this message. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for details. Hi, Dan. Um, my problem is more about dating than anything else. I'm um, 27 years old. And I've had a really terrible past year um, that I think might scare men away from me. Um, my brother committed suicide last July, and then um, my grandma died in March. I had to put my dog to sleep about a month after she died. And then <laughs> two months ago, I was raped. And because after that, I was kind of fucked up in the head. I lost my job. Um and then about three weeks ago, my dad told me that he and my mom are probably going to get divorced. Um, I feel weird, like, not talking about these things to people that I'm seeing or people that I'm interested in because they're really present in my head, and I feel that they're kind of influencing my my present life. Um, but I feel like when I do start talking about them, it's, it's horrifying to other people because obviously, like, I'm dealing with a lot of sadness, and I have a lot of baggage. Um my question is, uh, how can I make it apparent to these guys that despite these things, I'm not going to eat their livers or have a nervous breakdown? You know, I might cry sometimes, but I'm not crazy. Um, and like most same women, I am afraid of being labeled as a psycho. Um, it makes me afraid to be emotional in, in any respect, even though I have a lot of reasons to be so. Uh, my question is, how how much... Can I tell people about what's happened in the past, you know, year and and when should I tell them? I, you know, I'd like to be able to share these things, but I don't want to scare people away. Hi. Hi. Wow. How are you? Don't tell. How's don't it answer doing? that question. Please don't answer that question. <laughs> okay. Just listen to your call. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Talk about an Anna's horrible blah 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 bliss. Whatever the Queen of England said when you know all of her children got divorced and Windsor Castle burned down. Remember that? Probably don't. Sure, yeah. Um, you've had a really rough year, and you have my sympathy. Um, Thank you. Uh, that totally sucks. Uh, and listening to your call, of course, the only thing that pops to mind is, uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Um, 
because so much has gone wrong for you. But what's going right for you, I really think, is your attitude. And you sound really sort of level-headed about this string of horrible, you know, unfortunate events uh, right. that, have, that have played their way through your life. Um, so it doesn't sound like you're teetering on the edge of, uh, you know, doing harm to yourself or a complete breakdown or anything. So unless you're just really good on the phone and you're, you know, living in a house that's got, you know, human feces and newspapers stacked up to the ceilings and just little... No, no, nothing thing. like that. Okay. <laughs> um, I think you're, it sounds like you're doing fine. Uh, now, when it comes to dating and you've had a yeah. year like you've had, you're right. Your, your impulse is right, that if you disclose all of this, you're going to scare people away. Because mm-hmm. people don't date because they want a patient. You know, they, they don't date because right. they want to be somebody's therapist. People date because they want a partner in crime, a sex partner, someone that they enjoy and they can have fun with. And it's like you bank good times with somebody, and then they're going to be there for you in the bad times. Do you know what I mean? And somebody who totally, the, totally. I don't want to date to be anyone's patient. Right. And somebody who right out of the gate is like, guess what? With me, it's all bad times. Is going to scare people off for for yeah. reasonable reasons. And, and then, but then you have to balance this like desire to withhold this information with the impulse to disclose that you're being somehow dishonest by withholding. Right. People should know what they're signing up for when they go out with you. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's all I have to say. Good luck with that. We'll talk to you later. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Now I'm going to give you some advice. (laughs) (laughs) What you need to do is when you meet somebody you like and you want to date, you should date. You you know, there's a a date is not a deposition. You don't have to answer every question. You don't have to fully disclose everything uh, on the first date. Someone who's in your position where you've had, you know, this string of really traumatizing events uh, befall you, you should go out with somebody, you should date them, you should show them that you're a good time and you're not a mess before you disclose anything. Okay? Okay. I okay, do yeah. think that somebody who has been sexually assaulted or raped as recently as you've been raped, that before you become sexually intimate with somebody, that has to be put on the table. Okay. Because that's a landmine that somebody who you take to bed will be very resentful of you if they stomp on it not knowing it's there. Right. And you don't want to go to bed with somebody who's not going to be considerate and cautious at first, at least, about that sexual trauma and baggage, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever, whoever you date, say, you know what? Just out of the gate, say, don't say, guess what? I was raped. Come on, let's go to the movies. Say, <laughs> I'd love to go on a date with you. I'm in this place right now where I don't want to jump right in the sack, so it's not going to be like first date, you're in my pants, or second date, you're in my pants, but let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. And then okay. go out, be a good time, be the person that sounds like you are. I am. Phone. <laughs> Which is, you know, rightfully traumatized and distressed and struggling with these issues, but not devastated and destroyed and laid waste, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, disclose when the time comes to disclose and say, you know... Like one thing at a time, or...? No, I, I think the rape thing would be a one thing at a time, and then if you can overcome that, you can sit them down and say, I want you to know that I've had a really bad year, Mm-hmm. But you're under no obligation to, like, the problem when somebody lays all that out to you all at once when you're just beginning to date them is then you feel obligated to continue dating them even if you don't want to continue dating them lest you be the 45th shitty thing that happened to them this year. Right, exactly. So yeah. when you do lay it out, which I would say would be after a couple months of dating, 
say, it wasn't just the rape that was the minefield. Guess what? It was a really bad year. These things all happened. You need to say to that person, you're under no obligation to continue seeing me. If okay. you decide, for whatever reasons of your own are justified, I, I would hope it have nothing to do with all this trauma in my life because it's irrelevant. But if you decide uh, that we're just not a match and you don't want to continue seeing me, don't feel obligated to continue seeing me out of pity. Yeah. And if you let yeah. them off the hook like that, they won't dump you because they'll be afraid of not being able to dump you down the road. You don't want to get in a position where somebody dumps you because they don't want to feel obligated to stay with you if they date you for six months and then realize you're not a long-term partner potential for them. Okay. So you wanted them to feel free to stay or go, regardless of mm -hmm. your trauma. You want to prove mm -hmm. to them that they can still bank the good times with you, regardless of your trauma. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And then you have to, like, you know, ovary up, as they say, uh, the <laughs> at-risk youth say, and realize that, you know, dating, and, and if you're not ready to date, don't date, but dating is to invite heartache into your life. Potential. Yeah. And if you have to honestly assess whether you can handle it. And if you can't yeah. handle the, the heartache that is built into dating, the rejection that is built into dating, because every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until <laughs> one doesn't. Right, right. And if you can, if, if that, knowing that and going into it, you're not going to be devastated and destroyed. If you have, you know, you date three or four guys who dump you or you dump them. Mm -hmm. then jump in and date. If it is going to destroy you, if you look at that and go, I can't handle that right now, wait a year. Okay. Well, I can take anything at this point. <laughs> I think <laughs> on, the, you know, on the scale of all the horrible things that have happened to you and your family in the last year, getting dumped by some douchebag? Not a big deal. Pretty small <laughs> means. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thanks, Dan. You're welcome. I'm glad you and one, one last little bit of advice. If you have a hard time articulating everything we just talked about, mm -hmm. you should sit down and play this for the person you start to date after a couple months. Say, guess what? I was on the Savage Love Castle a while ago. Put <laughs> headphones on them, let them listen, and then have a talk. Okay. Okay? Well, thank you so much for calling. Good luck. I hope your year picks up. Hi, Dan. Um, I have kind of a weird question for you. Um, I had a long-term crush on this kind of hipster Don in my city, and after, you know, months of flirtation, brought him home with me, and we're around, and I was going down on him, and all of a sudden, my mouth was flooded with this warm, watery liquid, which I'm pretty sure wasn't, actually, no, I'm 100% positive wasn't cum, but at the time, I was so drunk that I didn't, you know, I thought that maybe it was... He was drunk, too, and it was an accident, and I didn't want to make him feel embarrassed and was stupid and passive and didn't say anything. And, Anyways, one thing led to another. Other things happened that night that made me think that maybe um, he was, you know, upon further reflection the next day, that maybe he was a little bit of a sadist. Um, and anyways, ended up getting really angry and furious about the entire situation, and basically all of my male friends told me that it was impossible for him to have pissed in my mouth by accident, that it had to have been on purpose. So I was kind of upset because I didn't really handle it the way I should have with him, which would have been like yelling at him and kicking out of my house and kind of made him think it was okay because I didn't really express myself um, more directly. Anyways, my revenge uh, up until this point has basically been to just tell every woman that I know that this guy is a piece of shit and that he's a piss rapist and that they should avoid his genitals at all costs. But um, as time has gone on and I run into him from time to time and things are really awkward and 
we have a lot of mutual friends. I'm wondering, is there even a remote chance that this was come or that he did accidentally piss in my mouth and I'm just slander or slandering his good name or bad name um, to everybody I know for no reason? First things first, we want to, uh, just a word of warning to our previous caller, uh, who we really don't want to have her accidentally dating a hipster dom who pisses in his mouth. Can you just throw <laughs> the color of this guy's hair so she can avoid everybody with that color hair? She's had a bad year, and I don't want her to accidentally stumble into a relationship with this guy. It's like a dark douchebag brown. All right, douchebag brown. So previous caller, yeah. you may only date blondes. <laughs> Just yeah. to be on the safe side. Avoid, uh, avoid douchebag Brown. Um, yeah. He couldn't. Uh, it, it would be really hard to accidentally piss in someone's mouth. That is an act of will and concentration, particularly if he had uh, an erection at the time, because it can be difficult for men to pee when they have erections. Well, it was like semi. It was semi erect. But right. this is what I've been told. You know, in the course of over the last year or so, I've been basically asking every man I know, is it possible somebody could accidentally do this? But it was the the the, the sum of everything else that happened that made me realize that it had definitely been done on purpose after I had time to, like, sober up and think about it. Mm-hmm. And you're saying he was a hipster dominant? <laughs> I was. I just. I don't know if he was a dom or not. I just think he's a fucking asshole. So you weren't getting into a relationship at any. So you weren't by dating him saying I'm sort of into dom sub play and I'm your bitch. And no, absolutely not. We were just like partying one night, and uh, I took him home, and then he just kind of pulled all this stuff out on me. But it didn't feel. Like, I mean, that's not something that I have an issue with. Um, but it was just more like pulling it out without talking about it, and then it wasn't. And it wasn't necessarily in a like a funny, sexy way. It was kind of in a pulling what shitty peeing in your mouth the peeing in my mouth the like but but there was like the it was the like leaving the condom in me like we had sex and I went to the bathroom and realized that he just pulled out and like stood inside and then as I was was trying to fall asleep like sticking his finger up my ass which again in the course of action is not necessarily a problem but like when somebody's trying to fall asleep and then sticking your finger up their nose like right after like it was just it was just more, it was less less dominant and more just douchebag. Yeah, like I, you know, have so much pussy thrown at me all the time. I'm just going to see, you know, what these ladies will, you know, still take what I throw at them kind of thing. Wow. So, so he, uh, he, what was the question then? <laughs> well, my question is, okay, so A, you pretty much answered the, the first question. Yeah, that, you in your mouth on purpose. Bad on purpose, so it wasn't an accident. Left a condom in your on purpose, bad dude. Yeah, Stuck a finger yeah, yeah, in your yeah. house when you're trying to go to sleep, bad dude. <laughs> So I guess the question is, because this has been my, like, cocktail party story for the last, I don't know, year. Every time I go out, I basically, not every time I go out, but... I want to go to the cocktail parties you go to, because the last couple I've been to had no, like, pissy, no finger-banging, nothing. They've been pretty boring. My, but my strategy is because I just felt like, I mean, basically casual sex for me is over. You know, like, since this this has happened, I mean, I'm getting older, but since this has happened, this has really just shone a light on the whole, like, not picking people you don't know home. Right. Very or, well. Or your the, bed. the lesson you should take away with it is not necessarily don't have one night stands. You know, I happen to have been in a relationship for 14 years with a guy I had a one night stand with who never left. Um, so I'm not a pro one night stands on principle. The lesson to take away with was he started. There was a there was a point where he gradually began to escalate this assholey behavior to see what he could get away with. And once he started to get away with it, and you, because you were cowed, because you know women are socialized to defer to men, and you didn't want to make him feel embarrassed, you said, "I didn't want, don't want yeah. to make you feel embarrassed about the fact that you just pissed in my mouth without getting me okay, <laughs> yeah. or buying me goddamn something else to drink first. 
he gradually escalated what is kind of sexually abusive behavior, and uh, you kind of let him get away with it, which I mean, yeah. kind of shift all responsibility to you. you to no, I totally, I totally accept the onus because if, uh, if after the immediately after the piss, I had said, okay, what the fuck was that? Unacceptable. And you know, I'm sure it would have. Get out of my house. Yeah. And but oh, but wait, here I'm gonna sit squat over your pants and pee on them first. Now here, <laughs> now get out of my house. Wear those wet things home. It, the um, lesson to take away is not no more one night stands ever because every guy you have a one night stand with is going to piss in your mouth and leave a condom in you and stick a finger in your ass trying to go to sleep. <laughs> the lesson is when somebody begins, you know, at the, at the outset of, of a sexual encounter, to do pricky, provocative things that a decent person might be interested in and want to do, but after obtaining your consent and finding out if these things turned you on too, that was the moment to put your hand on his chest, lift him off you. Get him out of your house. Okay, so my question is this then, Dan. Is it acceptable? Because I was so traumatized after this experience. I was like, I just have to warn girls about this guy because you have a he's right just ubiquitous. You so I'm just right telling every woman I know You have a to right avoid. to your experiences. You have a right okay. to sharing what you know about a guy. You have a right to do that. I, you know, I knew guys back in the day who were... Uh, fucking people without condoms when they were HIV positive, and I didn't hold my tongue mm-hmm. because that was, you know, part of the sisterhood of man. You know, I let you know that you probably don't want to go to bed with that guy because he did X to me or did X to my friend. And it's one of the ways people are held accountable for their actions sexually. Is they'll mm-hmm. get what's that word they used to throw at girls back in the fifties? A reputation. Oh right. And if right, you right. earned this reputation from you. You know, and maybe this was all out of character for him, and maybe he had E that night. Maybe he was totally fucked up and drunk, and he went places with you sexually that he's never gone before, and he feels bad about it, and he'll never go again. You know, some people push the envelope one night and regret it all their lives and feel terrible, and but that's still a bar he'll have to clear with other women that he sleeps with if they've heard from you and prove to them that he's not that person that he was that one night with you, that that was completely out of character, and he's as mortified by it as you were. Yeah. But the bar should be set higher for him based on what he did to you. Oh, God. The bar couldn't be set any lower. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because he gets a lot of Yeah. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, just draped in front of them. Okay, well, you, you know, know what? It's not your job to yeah, I know, I know, to step in front of the tanks full of Chinese pussy on the way to his house. <laughs> you can say what you've got to say, and you know what? He may keep up this behavior until he finds the girl who wants to be have a finger in her ass when she's trying to go to sleep, and wants to guys to piss in her mouth without permission, and wants to be treated like. Uh, you know, a trash a toilet. you can leave yeah. bottoms in and a toilet that you can <laughs> yeah. listen to. There's somebody out there for everybody. For everybody, yeah. So don't, for don't every... feel like it's your job to make sure he never gets laid ever again. Well, I, the anger, yeah, like the anger has worn off a little bit. Like initially, I was just filled, like so filled with like rage that uh, you know, I think I did like a Craigslist rant as well. <laughs> but I mean, like time has has mellowed me out a little bit, and now it's just more awkward when I run into him and when my male friends are like, "Why do you hate that guy so much?" And I don't want to tell them because I know that they'll kill him. So it's just more like think, and I do trying think to negotiate that, that territory. Do, the last thing you need to do. You know, you've you've had it out with friends, you've processed it been a while. You do need to confront him. You just need to say to him, that was, what you did was shitty, and you're a piece of shit, and I warned my girlfriends about you, and I think you're scum. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. And then, and then, it, then just let it go. You're mm-hmm. not... You're not, you know, when you have a bad sexual encounter with someone, you are not then obligated to save the world from that person 
you really You're are. Right. You can do what you can do, which is elbow your friends, tell them to stay the fuck away, let that person know he's a piece of shit, and you're holding him accountable as, be- as much as you can, and then walk the fuck away from it. So, spray painting piss rapist on his front door would not be a- an appropriate spray painting piss rapist on his front door might not be the wisest course of action particularly because it may get him some pussy like I said there's a girl out there who wants to be for every absolutely well thank you so much Dan you're welcome it was a lovely lovely little chat we just had it was talk to you later (laughs) yeah thanks Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get your free audio download of your choice when you sign up today. And to all of you out there who've pointed out rather gratuitously that none of my books... Savage Love, The Kid, The Commitments, Giving Towards Gamora are available on audio, audible.com. I'd like to point out that a book that I contributed an essay to, Things I've Learned from Women Who've Dumped Me, edited by Ben Carlin, uh, with some pieces by other writers you probably haven't heard of, like Stephen Colbert and Andy Richter and other people, uh, is available on audible.com. And you should go download that if you want to hear me talk about the girl I lost my virginity to when I was 15 years old. So go to Audible podcast.com slash savage where you can download a free audiobook today and you can download a free audiobook that I contributed a piece to if you like hey Jen I've had fantasies uh, growing up and to this day of being a rapist um, but always felt very guilty about them and very morally opposed to them so much so to the point to where just the thought of an actual raping somebody would, you know, turn my stomach, which is where my current problem is coming in. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet and marry a woman who is also into uh, the rape fetish, but to the point of wanting to actually act them out. And I haven't been able to uh, do this to her satisfaction because once we start getting into it and she starts struggling and crying, I go limp. So I guess my question to you would be whether you have any pointers on how to be able to uh, approach this better. So I got your, I listened to your call and I want to tell you that you are absolutely right to feel guilty and mortified and ashamed of your desires. Okay. (laughs) Just probably not what you expected me to say and I don't really mean it. Um, it's actually good that you feel that way, that you feel some conflict about being turned on by rape scenarios, because otherwise you would be a rapist, right? Your 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 guilt is the circuit breaker. You know, your your self awareness about how wrong the actual act of rape would be is the circuit breaker that keeps you from, you know, being an actual rapist, right? Yeah. So you have to recognize that this isn't evidence. You know, your fantasies and your reaction to them isn't evidence that you're a bad guy and you're a rapist. It's evidence that you're a good guy and you've, you have some desires that your moral side has corrected and held in check. Right? Yeah. And, you're yeah, just like and a sadist who seeks out a masochist who likes to be abused as opposed to a sadist who is emotionally abusive or physically abusive or, you know, kidnaps some person off the street and tortures them. You know, there's a good sadist, there's a bad sadist, right? 
There's the sadist who's found a way to process his desires so that he's doing them with people uh, who enjoy them too, and it's consensual, and therefore it's not really violence or abuse. It's mutual pleasure, right? Yeah. So you're lucky enough as a rape fetishist to have met and married a woman who has rape fantasies. Yeah, but where the problem comes in, though, is that she wants them acted out, and I can't bring myself to do it. I'm more of a... Uh, fantasize about it while I masturbate type of rape fetishist. And <laughs> right. And you just need to, you need to get over the hump. Um, yeah. And here's how you do that. Uh, you give yourself permission. You let yourself off the fucking hook. You stop torturing yourself. The time in your life when you needed to really think about the moral implications of your desires has passed because your moral side won and your desires have been processed and compartmentalized in such a way where you're not a rapist because you only have any desire to do this with somebody who desires the enactment of this fantasy scenario, not an actual rape, a fantasy scenario, too, and therefore it's not rape, right? So you need to stop, you need to give yourself permission to own these desires, and then you need to go through with it. And I know the problem is that you get you go limp when it starts feeling a little too real, right? Yeah. And there's two things, two ways you can work around that with your, your wife. First is to create some unreal scenarios, you know, where it's going to be evident, physically evident, that you're acting. I don't know, she can dress up as a, you know, 18th century Jane Austen heroine, and you can dress up as a pirate, and you can ravage her. You know what I mean? Where there's overtones of rape, but there's costumes and props, and you're doing a little role play that's a little silly, so there's putting some distance between you and the reality of rape that still spooks you, right? Because there's some accoutrements that remind you at all times that you're just faking it, okay? The other thing to do is do, you know, do the rape scenarios you've been doing, and when you go limp, keep going. Just don't use your dick. Get her off. Use a dildo. Use your hands. Learn to associate the enactment of the scenario with her orgasm with her pleasure and if you can get there if you can see that this is about your shared pleasure she's enjoying this too it can create another circuit breaker for you where you can get past you know whatever it is in your brain that is ordering your dick to to deflate at, at a certain point and you just have to shatter that by pushing through it and finishing even if you're finishing without your dick have you ever enacted one of these rape scenarios where you kept going and she came? Or have um, you always bailed? Not necessarily bailed, but just kind of uh, switched gears a little bit to where it was a little less, less rough, a little less uh, uh, rape scenario-like and more just rough sex. Like uh, if I started to go limp, I'd undo the ties on her and keep going that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but never considered... But it is all about your dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of straight guys have that hang-up about, you know, the minute their dicks go away, the sex has to be over because it's really all about your dick. Uh, you know, with, uh, it's not sex unless there's a hard cock in the room, which just ain't true. Well, well, normal sex, that's not the way I think at all. You know, if I, if I go limp for some reason, like, uh, or if I'm having trouble getting there, you know, I'm all about other types of plays. Just it's never really come into my mind that that could be incorporated into a rape fantasy scenario. It can. It can. 
there's and God, I hate to say this in a way that sounds like I'm condoning or praising, but there are rapists who rape without using their penises, who rape with fingers and toes and objects, and you can throw yourself into a fantasy consensual rape scenario that is just not about your dick. And you know what I would do the first few times? You decide to like baby, you know, training wheels this and give it a shot. Don't use your dick at all. Stay fully clothed. Rape her with your mouth. Using rape in quotes. Okay? Okay. Yeah. And then it'll take right. the pressure, the performance anxiety off your shoulders. And learn to enjoy her enjoyment of this thing that you're giving her that she wants, that she enjoys, that's consensual, that is, despite what somebody, how somebody might misinterpret a snapshot, it is lovemaking. Okay? Okay. Good luck. Hi, I'm calling in response to the person who was wondering if her love of BDSM was hardwired. And I've also had the same question because I also have memories of it, of being turned on by it since I was about five or four. And I wanted the same thing. So just wanted to let her know she's not alone. I remember watching Robin Hood and the Disney cartoon and there was this one scene where he was tied up and it totally turned me on. And looking back, I know what that was. Um, I guess it could have gone either way. I could have been a furry, but um, I was into bondage for the rest of my life. I don't know if that's bonded. That's just the first memory I have of it. But um, I'm lucky because my husband is open to it, um, although it did take about two years for him to actually get decent at it. And, um, yep, that's just my comment. Um, Bye. Some men are born kinky. Some men achieve kinkiness, and some have kinkiness thrust upon them, if I may paraphrase somebody or other. Uh, We can argue forever whether certain kinks are inborn traits, hardwired, acquired so early in life because of formative experience, they might as well, we might as well regard them as uh, inborn. The fact of the matter is you go into any kinky crowd, you can find people, you know, you can find bondage freaks who tell you they were demanding that their playmates tie them up when they're eight years old and they've been kinky and into bondage all their lives. And you can find people who acquired the kink because they had a kinky partner and came to dig it, came to get dig the dynamics of it. Uh, the thing I think that people most need to bear in mind is it's not something that you should stress out about too much. You should enjoy your kinks, uh, acknowledge that some things can't be untangled from the mists of time, the mists of your childhood development. Um, and so long as your kinks are uh, not life-threatening and you're only doing them with people who want to do them with you, it's all good. Hi, Dan. My name is Maureen, and I love your show. And I'm calling for a little bit of advice. Um, my boyfriend and I have done a little bit of the SDM, and he's tied me up a couple times. And when he has, he's done the traditional kind of stuff, like blindfolds and clothespins on nipples. And he recently asked me for the first time to tie him up. And I was wondering if you have advice about anything new and edgy that I might do. I don't want to just use his tricks. And um, a friend of mine suggested maybe feathers or popping balloons, and I think those are good ideas, but I was looking for maybe something a little bit more erotic and cutting edge. So listen to your call. Yeah, feathers and popping balloons. What, is this like Mardi Gras, a child's birthday party, or is this S&M? What you should do is get some sterile stainless steel needles and, and plunge them through his testicles. I okay. mean, if you want to be edgy... That's pretty edgy. Yeah, that How is pretty edgy. Um, you can also fill a jock strap with Ben Gay and pull it on him and then tie him up and let him scream and howl about. Um, no, the thing you need to do uh, 
when you're gradually getting into BSDM, as you said, or BDSM, as everybody else says, uh, is to take it slow and to do some reading. You know, there's a terrific book out there called The Dominant Woman. There's tons of uh, blogs. Uh, if you just Google femdom relationships, you'll find blogs that are being written by women who are doing BDSM with their male partners as tops, and they write about their technique, they write about what they enjoy, they write about what works for them, and that's the kind of exploring you should do right now. Uh, you should read, and you should surf the net. But in bed, you should take it really slow. There's nothing wrong with the first few times you do it to him, you do what he did to you. He's probably been doing to you what he wants now you to do to him. He's you know, experimenting on you and going, God, that looks like fun. I, I want that. I want her to do that to me. So don't be self-conscious about just flipping it on him, tying him up just like you t he tied you up, putting clothespins on his nipples, and getting him off. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just didn't want him to think that I was, like, totally uncreative. No, but what, you, then you should, like, find some ways, some avenues to be creative by doing doing the reading that I suggest. And also, you know, it's it can be really unfortunate when people who are, you know, really uh, neophytes at S&M want to trot things out to impress their partner, surprise their partner, and then wind up hurting their partner, scaring the shit out of their partner. It's important to obtain consent, particularly at the outset, uh, particularly when you're both novices, and, and take baby steps. Leave the, like, you know, big surprises for when you're really adept at this and, you're, and you really know what works for him so that you can introduce something you've never done before, but that has, you know, a similar vibe or a similar intensity to other things you know he enjoys. But you've got to get there one tiny baby step at a time. Or you can ruin it for each other. And you can, like, leap out and plunge a stainless steel needle through his testicles, and he <laughs> that is a little too extreme and then never wants to tie, be tied up ever again lest you castrate him next time. You know what I mean? Totally. That makes a lot of sense. So don't be self-conscious. Take your baby steps. Read dumb SM blogs together. Get a couple of books. Go to a sex-positive bookstore. There's tons. And uh, enjoy. Okay. I will do. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I'm calling regarding your recent BDSM episode with Mistress Matisse. Um, I loved it, and thank you. But um, being a kinky lawyer myself, I felt that the discussion of the legal issues associated with kink, be it professional or otherwise, uh, lacked one absolutely critical point. I wanted to make clear that an exploration of what is and is not legal for a pro-dom to do to a client isn't just a question of the laws governing sex work, but also the laws governing assault and battery. Anyone practicing kink should know whether or not their state considers consent a defense to assault and battery, and under what circumstances such a defense can be raised. Um, people should also consider the increased risk associated with toys, and everyone loves toys, um, but many of those toys the law will consider dangerous weapons, uh, which will increase the severity of the offense. Um, for instance, in one state, if you hit someone with your hand, you can be charged with a misdemeanor, and consent is a defense. However, if you hit someone with a weapon, like a riding crop or even a shot foot, you can be charged with a felony, and consent does not constitute a defense. So in that state, slapping someone around is pretty safe, but trample play could get you in serious trouble. Um, and in that same state, prostitution is a misdemeanor. So a pro-dom or or really any top for that matter, is probably going to be exposing herself to greater criminal liability by flogging someone than she would if she had straight up sex for money. 
Um, I also wanted to say that you know, this isn't a reason to get paranoid, and Mr. Matisse is right that cops and prosecutors have better things to do than prosecute consensual private conduct. Um, but the state laws regarding assault and battery and weapons and consent are absolutely worth researching, particularly if someone is going to be playing in public or professionally um, or any place where more people are likely to see them. Um, so I've tried to refrain from skewing law all over your phone because uh, I could go on at length. Um, and this really is a fascinating area of law that's rife with injustice and ripe for reform. In addition to... Checking the laws in the state where you're engaging in SM activities if you're into SM. It's a good rule of thumb uh, to play with people that you know. And if you're playing with people that you don't know well, to get it in writing, to have email exchanges, to go out of your way uh, to get them basically on the record saying that they, they are giving you their consent to whatever activities you're choosing to engage in. Particularly, uh, you don't want somebody to over the phone, give you a bunch of yeses, and then be full of regret and run off to the police after you untie them. There was a case in Oregon a few years ago where two guys were keeping another guy shackled and chained up in their attic dungeon, which always sounds weird, but in their attic dungeon. Um, and he jumped out the window and went screaming away uh, in shackles, and the neighbors called the police, and they broke in, and they found this you know torture chamber with cages and all this BDSM uh, equipment. And they, they wrote about these guys and initially like they were serial killers. And they were holding this guy against his will, which is what the guy claimed. And, and the guys were arrested and charged with felony imprisonment and kidnapped and sexual assault. And the charges were all dropped when the guys were able to produce on their computers all the emails from this guy saying that he wanted to be held, held for a certain amount of time, no matter how much he begged, not let go. And had consented to everything that had happened, basically. And the charges were dropped, but the guys were ruined, had to move away, had to sell all their crap. Uh, God knows where they are now. Good thing they got it all in writing. Good thing they didn't meet on a phone chat line, because they'd both probably be in prison now and for the rest of their lives. Uh, because juries and judges don't smile on kinky people, and you are guilty until proven innocent. And they had the email threads that proved them innocent. But good to know, good advice uh, from the lawyer. Always take it from the lawyer, not just the mouthy faggots. Hi, Dan. This is the lady that was proposed to in episode 98. And um, I wanted to, before I let you know what my answer is, I wanted to clarify that ruse that he used to get on the podcast and tell you what it is in reality. And that is that, uh, let's see... I got the teenage pictures of him from his mom. Uh, we've been dating for four years, and I have been dying to see these pictures of him. Um, the ones, the teenage pictures of me have been around the whole time because I have them with me, and uh, he had left them all at home. Anyway, so when I saw them, he looked completely different than I thought he would. Um, and, I mean, the, the whole teenage lust thing just set me on fire. And that night after I saw them, I was feeding him this scenario of, you know, you know, on some woeful, lonely night when you're a teenager and you're all brooding in your room, I'm going to knock on your window and I'm going to crawl inside your room and we're going to have massive sex, like for days. And like when your parents are out of town or something, and we're going to do all the things that we do now. Like we're going to have like anal sex. Cause like in 1988, like no one had anal sex. So I, I don't know. Anyway, but we're going to do all the awesome things we do now in bed, but over teenagers. So that's made us actually very happy 
and that's really how it is. So anyway, uh, just had to let you know that's really what's going on. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to marry him. Oh, by the way, we're in our mid-30s now, so it's not like I'm some old hag. And um, he's never had a He can't keep his hands off me. It's been that way since the day we met. And um, so, you know, everything is good. He has no real problems except for the fact that um, he loves your show so much. And we both do. Uh, anyway, and I love it so much, but I, I listen to you and I... I you know, I don't really need to call you with my questions because I pay attention. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, take care. Um, thanks. Bye. I realize it's bad luck to argue with the bride before the wedding. I'm having trouble reconciling some of the statements you made. Uh, savage love, better than therapy. I agree. But then a little later you say that your fiancé has no real problems except that he loves your show so much. Excuse me? And when you say that no one in 1988 was having anal sex. I don't have any photo documentation. I don't have any video. We didn't have cell phone cameras then. But I guarantee you that there was at least one Irish Catholic skinny-ass drama queen faggot in Chicago having anal sex in 1988 because I was there. But I want to thank you uh, for giving us the update. Congratulations. It's our first proposal here on Savage Love uh, or on the Savage Love cast. And we couldn't be happier for you now, for your teenage selves then. And uh, it would be awesome if time travel was a real possibility because then you could go back and crawl in your fiancé's window and butt-fuck the living shit out of him or allow him to butt-fuck the living shit out of you. And I could get in a time machine and go back and visit my boyfriend uh, in high school and do him the same favor. We're going to leave it there. Unless we expose ourselves to some legal liability at some point in the future when time travel becomes possible. Before we sign off and give you the phone number to call in for a future show, we want to give a shout out to Cheryl in Baton Rouge, who uh, got through Gustav, she says, by listening to all her downloaded Savage Loves on her iPod in her dark house during the storm. And I just want to tell you, Cheryl, thanks for the call. And we're glad you survived. And we hope uh, everything's worked out for you now and the power's back on. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to leave a message for a future show, leave a question. Be sure to include a callback number and uh, try to keep it to under a minute or two. We promise not to broadcast your number on the podcast. Uh, Once again, that number, 206-201-2720. That's it. Me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth with their dreads and their personal hygiene issues. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Savage Lovecast.